Good evening and welcome to this Outbeat Extra edition of Outbeat News in Depth. I'm Greg Moralia. Well, let me begin tonight by welcoming all of the new listeners here on 104.9 FM. We are truly thrilled that KRCB Radio can now reach you and provide you with access to Outbeat Radio. If you're in fact a new listener, let me tell you that Outbeat Radio has been running here on KRCB for over 25 years. We're a locally produced program for and about the LGBTQI plus community. Each week we offer a different type of show, starting on the first Sunday with Living Proof. It's hosted by Sheridan Gold and Dr. Diana Grayer, and it's a show about relationships and family. On the second Sunday, Cheryl Kabanuk hosts Outbeat Music that features music from LGBTQ plus singers and songwriters. Outbeat Collage out in the Arts, airs on the third Sunday and is hosted by Gary Carnavelli, and he talks about local movies, authors, and more. And then on the fourth Sunday, we take a closer look at some of the LGBTQ news headlines with this show, Outbeat News in Depth. And when there's a fifth Sunday, like tonight, we'll be airing an Outbeat Extra, and that could be just about anything happening in our community. Now, most of our shows are podcasted and available for on-demand play on our website. So check out OutbeatRadio.com and OutbeatNews.com. So welcome. Pride Month begins in just a couple of days, and if you aren't already aware, June is also the anniversary of many landmark civil rights decisions by the U.S. Supreme Court that have helped bring LGBTQ people closer to realizing full equality in this country. It started on June 26, 2003, when the Supreme Court struck down state laws that prohibited consensual same-sex sexual acts in the infamous Lawrence v. Texas case. And then on that same day in 2013, the court struck down the Federal Defense of Marriage Act and California's Proposition 8, and that brought marriage equality to our state. And six years ago this month, On the 26th of June, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in the landmark marriage case Obergefell v. Hodges that marriage equality was the law of the land. Well, Jim Obergefell, the lead plaintiff, is here with us tonight to help us launch Pride Month and to catch up on what he's been doing for the last six years. So stay tuned. It's all coming up next, right after your Outbeat Radio News for this Sunday, May 30th, Greg Morale with your Outbeat Radio News for the week of May 30th, 2021. In the state of Kansas, two employees at the North Lyon County Elementary School will receive disciplinary action after banning a student from the bus because they overheard the student say, quote, I'm a lesbian, end quote. An internal investigation by the school district's board found that the banning of the 8th grader from the bus was a violation of both district policy and federal Title IX regulations. According to the Emporia Gazette, The internal investigation by the Kansas Association of School Boards found that Christy Gadino, the bus driver, and Corey Wiltz, the principal of North Lyon County Elementary School, are guilty of sexual harassment against the student. Angela Stombauer, the attorney for the school board, wrote in a report for the investigation that a video from the bus that day shows the student not only did move to the front of the bus when asked, but that the bus driver, Godino, ignored the fact that other students were using, quote, shockingly profane, end quote, curse words. Godino focused only on the fact that the eighth grader said she was a lesbian. And then she misreported that the student refused to move and also lied about what the student actually said. Principal Wiltz apparently didn't even watch the video before siding with the bus driver and banning the student from the bus. 
The principal did reinstate the student's bus privileges, but also admittedly telling the student's father that the use of the word lesbian was not appropriate. And in San Francisco, the Reverend Dr. Megan Rohr, a Lutheran pastor, is set to become the first openly transgender person ever to become a bishop in a major United States Christian denomination. Rohr, who has served as pastor of the Grace Lutheran Church in the Outer Sunset since 2014, and as the community chaplain coordinator for the San Francisco Police Department since 2018, was elected to a six-year term leading the Sierra Pacific Synod in a vote of 209 to 207. Rohrer, who is 41 years old, told the Bay Area Reporter that the election was a sign of how much the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America has changed. San Francisco Police Chief William Scott congratulated Rohrer on their appointment in a statement to the Bay Area Reporter and said, quote, We're incredibly proud of our San Francisco PD colleague, Bishop-elect Megan Rohrer, for making history as the first openly transgender person ever elevated to the role of bishop by a major U.S. Christian denomination. He added, at the same time, it's somewhat bittersweet for us because Reverend Megan is so universally regarded as the department's community chaplain coordinator, and their ministry has been so meaningful to the crime victims, their families, and our members. And here locally, Pride Month starts this week on June 1st. Come on out or watch the live stream as Sonoma County Pride kicks off Pride Month with the official raising of the rainbow flag on top of the Rosenberg Building at the corner of Mendocino Avenue and 4th Street. And then on June 2nd, Sonoma County Pride and the Grayton Resort and Casino presents Friends of Dorothy, a community conversation. And this will repeat each week throughout Pride Month with engaging and trending topics facing the LGBTQI community. These conversations will happen every Wednesday evening from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. on Zoom. And you can get details at sonomacountypride.org. Then, coming up this Saturday on June 5th, it's the big drive through parade at the Grayton Resort and Casino. Sonoma County Pride is pleased to welcome back Grayton Resort and Casino as the annual title sponsor of this year's Pride celebration and host of this year's unique, reimagined, Beyond the Rainbow drive through parade. The fun starts at 11 a.m. and runs through 2 p.m. at the Grayton Resort and Casino parking lot. Now, you do need to sign up for a time to drive through ahead. So again, go to the Sonoma County Pride website at sonomacountypride.org to get your time. And then later in the month, Sonoma County Pride is pleased to present the perfect June diversion for this lockdown we've been in with a behind-the-curtain dinner and Wizard of Oz sing-along. This will be held at Sally Tomatoes in Roanert Park on June 19th. So grab your ruby slippers and click your heels three times to be transported to an evening at the Emerald City. Sonoma County Pride will be transforming Sally Tomatoes into a magical wonderland, and you're invited to come watch the classic movie and musical with song lyrics displayed on the screen for you and your friends to sing along. Get your tickets to the Behind the Curtain Dinner and Wizard of Oz sing-along at sonomacountypride.org. And we'll have a link on our website at outbeatnews.com. For Outbeat Radio News, I'm Greg Morales. Six years ago, on June 26, 2015, the United States Supreme Court ruled that same-sex couples nationwide had a right to marry. Jim Obergefell was the lead plaintiff in this case and became the face of this now infamous case. Jim was present at the Supreme Court that day to witness the reading of the decision and shortly afterwards received a phone call from President Obama. 
Pamela Brown is on the steps and she's with uh, Mr. Obergefell who is getting a phone call from a very important person, Pamela. Yes, and that very important person, Jake, is President Obama calling Jim Obergefell. Hello? Yes, it is, Mr. President. Jim, uh, the, uh, I, I figured when I saw you that we were going to be hoping for some good news, and we did. And I just wanted to say congratulations. Thank you so much, uh, sir. I think it was you your know, wishes. You know, your, your, uh, your leadership on this you know, has uh, changed, changed the country. I, I really appreciate that, Mr. President. It's really been an honor for me to be involved in this fight and to have been able to, you know, fight for my marriage and live up to my commitments to my husband. So I appreciate, I appreciate everything you've done for the LGBT community and it's really an honor to, to have become part of that fight. Well, hey, uh, I'm, I'm really proud of you and uh, just, uh, just know that not only have you been a great example for people, but uh, you're also going to bring about a lasting change in this country. And it's, uh, it's pretty rare where that happens. So uh, I, I couldn't be uh, prouder of you and, uh, and your husband. And uh, God bless you. Thank, thank you, sir. That means an incredible amount to me. And yeah, thank you. <laughs> All right. Take care. Thanks for the call, Mr. President. At the very heart of this case was the 14th Amendment to the United States Constitution and the Equal Protection Clause. Most recently, Jim's story was featured in the Netflix docu-series Amend, which tells the story of the 14th Amendment and what it means to us. So with us tonight to celebrate Pride Month and this sixth anniversary of the marriage decision is Jim Obergefell. Jim, welcome back to the show. Thanks. Thrilled to be back. Thanks yeah. for having me on. Great having you. And as I mentioned uh, before we got on the air here, you know, you just seem like a Sonoma County resident. We've seen you out here so many times. Uh, and so it's great to have you back on the show. Um, let's start with what things have been like for you since the marriage decision. We're coming up on the sixth anniversary of that. Uh, and I kind of feel like we've been through hell and back since then. <laughs> What's it been like for you? You know, I think through hell and back is a good way to, to describe a certain four years of the past six, oh almost six years. But, you know, for me, life has been... It's been great, you know, my life, my world has changed completely from what it was prior to the case, prior to the decision, but it's been an incredible experience for me to become an activist by choice, as opposed to finding myself in a situation that gave John and me the opportunity to become activists. Mm -hmm. Now it's part of my life, it's part of my DNA. I have to be involved fighting for the LGBTQ plus community and really all marginalized communities. So between becoming an activist, launching a wine label, writing a book, um, moving a couple times, it's been a crazy, crazy, but fun several years. Yeah. And, and you were bestowed officially the title of activist I saw in uh, in one of the many articles you've been in this last couple of months uh, in Advocate magazine. And and I think that's something you should be proud of. Uh, I really, really admire all the work that you've done. But for our listeners who may not know the backstory, would you mind just giving us the rundown about how you became the lead plaintiff in the marriage case? I know we've talked about this on our show years ago, but you know, maybe the listeners don't remember exactly how that came about. Absolutely. So in our 18th year of being together, my 
my late husband, my late husband John, and I. Things just took a turn we weren't expecting. In our 18th year, 2011, John was diagnosed with ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. And over our years together, we had always talked about getting married and we wanted to get married, but we didn't want it to be just symbolic. And we lived in Ohio where there was a state level defensive marriage act. So marriage was out of the cards, out of, you know, it wasn't possible for us. But then he was diagnosed with ALS and about a year later, I became his full-time caregiver when he started at-home hospice care. And on June 26, 2013, I was standing next to his bed holding his hand when it was reported on the news that the Supreme Court struck down the Federal Defensive Marriage Act in their decision, United States versus Windsor. And I spontaneously leaned over, hugged and kissed John and said, let's get married. And luckily, he said yes. And that launched us on this effort to figure out, well, where can we get married? How do we get there? Especially John, who was completely bedridden, could do nothing for himself. And we ended up getting married inside a chartered medical jet on the tarmac of the Baltimore Washington International Airport. And that was all we wanted to do, just get married and live out John's remaining days as husband and husband. Now that, just to clarify, that was not because you all had an affinity for airplanes. It's because that was where you could legally get married at the time, right? It wasn't legal in your home state. Correct. And, you know, in a perfect world, I could have put John in his wheelchair and we could have gone the six blocks to our county courthouse for a marriage license. But we couldn't because of Ohio right. State Legal Defense Marriage Act. So we settled on marriage. It's the one place where I could fly in advance and apply for our marriage license. Every other place required both people to appear in person. The whole goal in this was to make sure I kept John as safe and as comfortable as possible during the whole process. Right. So we flew to Maryland in a chartered medical jet because I wasn't going to put him in an ambulance and he couldn't fly commercially. So we got married and thought that, that was it. So a few days after we got married, we happened to meet a local in Cincinnati and he pulled out a blank Ohio death certificate and said, do you guys get it? Do you understand that when John dies, his last official record as a person will be wrong? And Jim, your name won't be there as his surviving spouse. Well, we knew at an abstract level that Ohio wouldn't recognize our marriage. But that conversation changed everything for us because it made that state level defensive marriage act real, right. harmful and hurtful. So when he asked if we wanted to do something about it, we discussed it and said, yes. So we filed suit in federal district court against the state of Ohio and the city of Cincinnati. And that launched the process that took me to the Supreme Court as the named plaintiff. Wow. And that was and that decision came down uh, six years ago next month. We'll celebrate that on uh, June 26th, right? Correct. Hard to believe. It's yeah. been almost six years. And that really launched you onto a national stage. Uh, you've been all over the place in talking about not only just marriage, but also civil rights. Uh, what are some of the experiences for you that are standouts over the last six years? You know, for me, I think that the experiences that always stand out and they're the ones that I really take with me are those one-on-one -on -one personal interactions I have with people and have had with people across the country. You know, I remember being in Philadelphia shortly after the decision for an event and I was walking down the street and there was a couple opposite sex pushing their child in a stroller. They saw me, recognized me, came up to me and said, Jim, could would you be willing to take a picture with 
our child, I forget if it was a boy or a girl, because thanks to you, we know our kid will be able to marry the person they love, no matter who that is. Mm. Several times when I've spoken at colleges or universities, I've had students come up to me afterwards and tell me something they've never told anyone else, including themselves out loud, that they're gay. And that is an unbelievable experience to to have a young person feel comfortable in coming up to me and sharing such a personal, important part of who they are with me for the first time ever. I always think those experiences, no matter anything that I've gone through, any, any challenges, any rough patches, those experiences make all of it worthwhile. And I also have to say, you know, recently, well, last, last fall when Amy Coney Barrett was nominated and then confirmed to the Supreme Court, I got an email, a Facebook message from a college friend who said, Jim, one of my friends, her 12-year-old son is just distraught about this. And in fact, on the way to school the other day, he asked his mom, well, mom, does this mean, you know, once I figure out or find someone that I want to spend my life with, I won't be able to do it? And he was just devastated at Mm. what that nomination and confirmation meant. And I thought about it and realized as I was writing a response to him that I really wasn't sure how to feel about it myself. But as I wrote this message to him, I I really stressed, and I think the heart of my message was, David, you know, don't worry. There are countless people out there fighting for people, for kids like you. I'm one of them. And I'm going to do everything I can. And I know there are many other people doing the same thing to make sure that you don't lose that right, to make sure that you can grow up in a world where you can be who you are without fear and without apology. So it's those types of things, those one-on-one interactions that really have been the most meaningful, the most enjoyable and beautiful moments that I've had. Yeah. And that just has to fuel your passion for activism now. I mean, you think back to those kinds of conversations and go, hey, this is one of the reasons I keep doing this. Absolutely right, Greg. That really does. It keeps me keeps me going. And I, I even told David in my message to him, I said, you know, at those times when I get discouraged, I'm going to think about you mm-hmm. and my promise to you. And that's what will help me keep going. That's awesome. And it's so true. That's awesome. Very cool. I read recently uh, that... John is going to be honored in title uh, as part of a new development, a new retirement development, right? T- talk to right. Him, tell us about that. Yeah, it's really exciting. So last summer, fall, I received an email from a, on the board of a neighborhood development corporation. It's called Nest, and it's for the north side neighborhood of Cincinnati, which has historically been really the neighborhood of Cincinnati. And he told me that the development corporation was working on a senior living LGBTQ focused housing development in the Northside neighborhood. And they had decided that they wanted to name it after John. Mm. And I thought, what an amazing thing, because I just still remember John having these flights of fancy that he would win a huge lottery jackpot. And using that jackpot, he could buy lots of rundown homes or empty lots in Cincinnati 
and do something to help make the city a better place. And I thought, this is John's flight of fancy coming true in a way. So last month in March, they officially announced it and they announced that this development will be, will be called John Arthur Flats. Oh, and nice. it just means the world to me. I mean, what a legacy for yeah. John. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Have you seen any of the layouts of what the design's going to look like and what kind of a community it's going to be? I know it will have 57 units, if I recall correctly. But beyond that, I don't know much about it. I know the location. But I'm really just excited for them, especially because LGBTQ plus elders, they so often age in isolation. Right. And this is such a great opportunity for them to be part of a community, have a home where they know they are welcomed, supported, and protected. So it means the world to me, especially because I was formerly on the board of SAGE, uh -huh. which is all about elder LGBTQ Americans. Right. So there are a whole lot of things about that news, about this decision that just makes me happy. Yeah. Kind of everything coming together. It's great. It's really great. Right. And I'm hoping cities, you know, get on board with that idea. I know Fountain Grove Lodge here in Santa Rosa has been wildly successful for, for folks. It's an, it's an amazing place. Um, I don't know, 20, 30 years from now, I, I guess I see myself going into uh, an environment like that where I'm surrounded by people who are like me. I think that's what's so important right. about it. So important. And, and I joke, and this is 100% a joke, but I just keep thinking or joking, well, they should set aside one of the units for me. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully we all reach that point at some point in our lives, right? We make it right. that far. Uh, and you've also become a winemaker. You alluded to that uh, before, but uh, for our listeners, we've done some stories on equality wines out in Guerneville. But for those who don't know about it, tell us about how you got involved in the wine business. Yeah, so Equality Vines really came up out of nowhere. And six years ago last month, we founded it. So my business partner, Matt Grove, called me out of the blue one day because he had actually figured out his ex-wife and I had a friend in common. So he had a way to get my contact info. And he called me out of the blue to introduce himself, tell me his story, and ask if I'd be interested in meeting to have dinner and talk about an idea he had. So we met in New York over dinner and not surprisingly, several bottles of wine. <laughs> and we talked about this idea he had. Now, Matt had been in the wine business for quite some time. He's been in the food and wine business for a couple decades. And he owned a winery in South Africa that was really for import into the U.S. Mm -hmm. And he was thinking about doing a wine to honor his favorite aunt, his Aunt Marilyn, Dr. Marilyn Schultz. Back in the 70s, his Aunt Marilyn worked for NBC. And she was a college graduate. She was very good at what she did, but she reached that glass ceiling where she could go no further. And she realized her opportunities and her pay and her treatment were all being limited because of the fact that she was a woman in that industry. So she filed and led the first major class action lawsuit for gender pay and opportunity oh, wow. equality in the workplace, and she won. She also happened to be a lesbian. And she passed away um, sometime in the early 2000s. So Matt was thinking about doing a wine to honor her. And one of his friends said, Matt, think bigger than just one wine. Then our story, John's and my story, and the marriage equality case hit the news. 
And he thought, huh, maybe this is thinking bigger. So we talked about launching a wine label called Equality Vines that supports the fight for equality. So every wine we release is tied to an organization fighting for equality. And when we sell a bottle of that wine, we donate to that organization. So we have wines that support LGBTQ rights, women's rights, immigrants' rights. We're working on a new line of wines that will support racial equality. Mm. And it's been a blast. It's been so much fun. But it's also really good to, to be in that industry drinking something that I really enjoy drinking, knowing that we're actually helping make a difference. Yeah. yeah. So what's the most interesting thing you've learned about winemaking? That I knew almost nothing about it beforehand. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The most interesting thing I've learned about winemaking. Let's see. I don't know. I think that's a tough one, Greg, because I still feel like I don't know that much about the actual process because we are just a label. So we partner with wineries and winemakers who make wines for us. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think for me, it was learning more about the sparkling wine process. Uh, and working with Iron Horse to, they they made our very first wine, Love Wins Cuvée. They've made several more for us. So learning more about the sparkling process yeah. and going through the dosage process. So working with the winemaker at Iron Horse, you know, having six to eight glasses of different dosages in front of us that we could taste and decide, well, what do we want our final wine to taste like? That was so much fun. Yeah, I bet. So I think that's probably been one of my favorite things. Well, you picked a great partner, Iron Horse. Uh, you know, come on. The, their wine's delicious. And they're a very generous organization as well. Uh, I really admire yes. what they do. They so, are. You know, we, we've been able to work with some great, great wineries. You know, Iron Horse, Spicy Vines in Healdsburg, um, Seha Vineyards. And it's nice that they're all Sonoma County. We can all be very proud of that. Uh, yeah, for sure. So tell us about there is a tasting room if folks haven't been out to Guerneville recently. Uh, it's beautiful. It's in an ideal location. Uh, tell us a little bit about what goes on there. You do some special events. Yeah, correct. We have a tasting room on Main Street in Guerneville at the corner of Main Street and Armstrong Woods. And it is a tasting room, but you can also just come and hang out and have a glass of wine, a bottle of wine. We do have events throughout the year. You know, some of those are events for our wine club members, but then we also have wine launch events. We bring in additional, we bring in our winemakers to hang out. We will also serve more wines from our winemaking partners at times because, you know, we are partners and even though they've made things for our label, we also want to to make sure people know more about their wineries. So mm-hmm. we do a lot of things to, to really partner with, with our winemaking partners and make sure that we're supporting them like they support us. Well, that's great. And with California opening up again, this summer will be a perfect time to go out to Guerneville and enjoy some wine. Yes, that's for certain. Uh, fingers crossed. Well, we're going to take a quick music break, and I thought to celebrate the beginning of Pride Month and the sixth anniversary of the marriage decision, there's no better song than Underdog from Alicia Keys. Homeless, she asked him his name and told him what hers was. He gave her a story, 
About life with a glint in his eye and a corner of a smile, one conversation, a simple moment, the things that change us. If we notice when we look up, sometimes they said I would never make it, but I was built to break the mold. The only dream that I've been chasing is my own. So I sing a song for the hustlers trading at the bus stop, single mothers. kitchen talking to the driver about his wife and his children on a run from a country where they put you in prison for being a woman and speaking your mind she looked in his eyes in the mirror and he smiled one conversation a single moment the things that change us if we notice when we look up sometimes they said i would never make it but i was built to break the mold the only dream that i've been chasing is my own I sing a song for the hustlers Sing at the bus stop Single mothers waiting on a check To come young teachers Student doctors Sons on the front line Knowing they don't get to run This goes up to the underdog Keep on keeping it What you love you That was the always amazing Alicia Keys with Underdog. If you're just joining us, you're listening to an Outbeat Extra edition of Outbeat News in Depth. I'm Greg Moralia. And we are celebrating tonight the start of Pride Month and the sixth anniversary of the marriage equality decision by the U.S. Supreme Court with the lead plaintiff in that case, Jim Obergefell. So one of the reasons that reconnected me with you here for this conversation was when I saw you in the Netflix uh, docu-series Amend, which is absolutely incredible. Um, as someone who teaches the Constitution at our police academy and to our LGBT students, I thought it was probably the best explanation of the 14th Amendment ever. Um, you know, Will Smith does a fabulous job, and you have a corner piece uh, in that around marriage equality, which was really cool. I, I saw so many 
pictures and images and backstory about how this all came to be and, and your part in it. So how did, how did you get involved in Amend? I heard from the director, Robe Imbriano. He reached out and said, Jim, I am working on this doc about the 14th Amendment. I would love for you to be involved. And we talked about it. I learned more about what his plans were. And I thought, absolutely, this sounds interesting and fun. And he also, I help, reached out to Al Gerhard Stein, John's and my attorney on the case, John's brother, Curtis, and John's aunt, Paulette. She was the one who married us inside the, the medical jet. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at that point, when I first started talking with the director, it hadn't been sold to Netflix. Will Smith wasn't involved at that point. So that all happened later. But it was a really interesting, fun, but also emotionally draining experience when I did the filming. And the filming for this was back in the fall or early winter of 2018. And, you know, even though Curtis, Al, Paulette and I were all involved, we could not be there at the same time. They scheduled things so that when I went and did my, my bit, none of them were around. So I spent hours in that studio. I feel like it was at least six hours, but I could be wrong. Just sitting in that chair, having a conversation with the producer and yeah, it was, it was a really good experience. And I have to say, Robe, his entire team, they did such a phenomenal job on the series. You know, I personally learned a great amount about the 14th Amendment. You know, I knew the 14th Amendment was really the, the basis, the linchpin of the decision in our case. But did, did I really understand what that meant? No, but I do now. And just really learning that you know, the 14th Amendment, and Al says this over and over, you know, the 14th Amendment, and he's not the only attorney or person who knows the Constitution say this over and over, that the 14th Amendment was really like the second founding of our nation. So it was a really, really good experience, and I'm just thrilled with the end result. I think Robe did an, a very sensitive job with John's and my story. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's brilliant. Um... And I learned a whole bunch about it that I never read about in any history book. There's a whole nother angle to this story involving people that have never been included in history, that made huge contributions. What stood out for you? What was a, did you have an aha moment as you were going through this and learning about the 14th as it was being filmed? Oh, I know I did, Greg, but it's been a while since I've watched it and maybe something will pop up into mind, but Right now, I think it was just that the big picture, because I've always been someone who sees the forest, not the trees. Mm -hmm. So I left watching that thinking of how poorly our nation has lived up to its promises of we the people and equal justice under law. All of those things that we say our country, our nation stands for, we've not done a great job about that. Right. And I think more than anything, it's just knowing that regardless of what happens legally or legislatively, that doesn't mean that we actually enjoy equality. All you have to do is look at the civil rights movement. You know, we have the 1964 Civil Rights Act. So 
In law, the black community is equal, but in reality, in their daily lived lives, absolutely not. So I think more than anything, it was just that confirmation that, yeah, we have a lot of work to do. Yeah. Yeah, it really does a fantastic job explaining really the history behind the 14th Amendment. So much of it was left out of the history books. Uh, Here's a clip from the Netflix series Amend. What does it mean to be an American? This land is your land. What about a citizen? This land is my land. The original Constitution is silent on the subject of citizenship. From California doesn't have any statement of who is a citizen or who isn't. In that space of this undefined term citizen, racism was allowed to flourish. At the heart of the 14th Amendment is the definition of citizens in America. It is through this definition that all the rights we cherish are granted and defended. Racial equality. Marriage equality. Women's equal citizenship. The right to have rights. And under the law, everyone in America gets equal protection. Was made for you and me. Fellow Americans, this is a problem which faces us all. Who is America? We talk about equality a lot in America. We talk about justice. The 14th Amendment was intended to make that vision real. The right to participate, the right to vote, the right to call on the government, and also to get protections against the government. The 14th Amendment is a promise of equality for all. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of the citizens of the United States. It says we are all deserving of empathy and dignity. I'm scared, but I'm gonna stay. Cause I'm tired of running, running, running. Nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property. Nor deny any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the law. I'm just going to... The founders wrote life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They made that promise. This fight is for a more perfect union. The second founders wrote the 14th Amendment. They put the word equal into the Constitution. Another promise. Words have power. Words can change the world. This is why we're here. To tell America's story. The story of the 14th Amendment. I'm gonna be saved. There are two things I think that stood out for me. One was the concept that you mentioned, which is that the 14th Amendment was really sort of a rebirth of our country and the original principles on which it was founded, because we had not been able to live up to those. We, you know, in the time of slavery, we really found ourselves in in complete conflict with some of the basic principles that we claim to have. Um, and then the other point is something that I talk to my students a lot about: the difference between legal equality and lived equality. Uh, in California, even we have probably the most robust set of LGBT protections that would give us, you know, widespread legal equality. Yet you know, you go down to some of the parts of Bakersfield and Fresno, I'm not sure that that experience is lived equality at all. Not at all. Well, and that also applies so clearly to marriage equality. You know, we have the right across the nation to 
exercise that right to get married, but we certainly don't enjoy marriage equality. I mean, all I have to do is say Kim Davis, Big Shop, uh, Fulton versus the city of Philadelphia. There are so many ways that our marriages, our relationships, our, our existence is still treated as wrong, less than, not worthy of the same rights and protections. Right. Which brings us to today's debate, which is this Equality Act. Yet another attempt to try to impose, to create some, impose isn't the right word, to create some legal equality for LGBT people. Um, and yet it's meeting so much opposition. It is. And it's just, you know, it's the opposition we've been facing forever. And it's so much of it is the same opposition that other marginalized communities have faced. You know, to me, it's a no brainer. No, no person in this nation should be treated or have different rights than anyone else. To me, that's, that's a no brainer. And that's what our nation is supposed to be. And we deserve the right to live our lives on an equal footing with our straight counterparts, with our right. straight fellow citizens. So, you know, I'm thrilled that the Equality Act passed the House but certainly doesn't look all that optimistic in the Senate because so many people still cling to those wrong attitudes that we're asking for something special. And so much of it, so much of the, the pushback is based in religion right. and saying that my religion doesn't, doesn't consider you LGBTQIA people as the same as I am. You're, you're sinners, you're evil, you're bad, you're, you're broken, you're wrong. And they use that as their justification for demanding the right to discriminate against us and for refusing to allow us to, you know, enjoy civil rights protections. It's really odd because the argument that I've heard around religion is that the equal, uh, the Equal Rights Act would compromise religious freedom, yet it doesn't say anything in there about a person's beliefs. The First Amendment does and never has said anything about being able to discriminate against someone because of your religious beliefs. It just says that you're free to believe whatever you want and practice whatever faith you want without inhibition. Um, and so I don't, I've never, I don't understand that argument either, uh, but it's one that folks are pretty passionate about, that's for sure. They are, but I, I'm with you. I don't understand it. You know, to me, religious freedom means you are able to practice your religion at home and in your house of worship without any issues, without interference by, by the state, by the government. And what they're asking for, what they're demanding is the antithesis of religious freedom. They are saying, we want our laws to give my particular religion or my particular interpretation of my particular religion, legal protection, legal rights, pref legal preferences in public life. Right. That is not religious freedom. Right. They are asking for the antithesis of religious freedom. That goes and way beyond the First Amendment, that's for sure. Right, it does. Right. Yeah, it's crazy. So the other, I think the other thing that bothers me is uh, some of the recent polling data that talks about 70% or more of Americans favor the Equality Act. You know, the representatives that are standing in the way of this represent that 70%. And 
And so there seems to be this huge gap between the people we've elected to represent our interests and their own personal opinions. It's kind of crazy. It's very crazy. And they have no interest in changing. They have no interest in actually doing something that the majority of their constituents believe in, agree with, or want. They are just digging in their heels and saying, no, no, no. Um, I don't understand it. I really don't. You know, marriage equality. Huge majorities of our nation are in support of marriage equality. Right. And unfortunately, a lot of a lot of Americans don't realize that, you know, that the LGBTQ plus community don't have protections. So many just assume that we already have protections against discrimination, but we don't. And that's something that the opponents of equality are doing everything they can to to make sure that <laughs> that people don't know. Yeah, I don't know, Greg. I, I, I don't get it. I don't get it's, it either. I think the other thing that's disturbing is all the legislation that's that's sitting at the state level around uh, anti-transgender uh, mm-hmm. acts and uh, and alike. I don't know. I, I read there's there's like over a hundred bills that are pending that somehow limit access to public facilities or participation in sports uh, in this desperate attempt to try to prevent any sort of equality for LGBT folks. Right. It's it's disturbing the hate directed towards the transgender community lately. You know, the people who are doing that. I think they've realized the transgender community is the most um, at-risk community in the LGBTQ plus community. They're they're the most. Um, I'm losing my words today, but they they are by far the the, the community the the people who are at the greatest risk, and they're going after them, mm-hmm. and they're treating them as far less than human, and it's just thoroughly disgusting these countless bills like you say to to impact sports to limit everything about a transgender person's ability to live their lives without fearing for their lives it's it's horrendous yeah yeah well and that's to say nothing about all the gate of panic defense bills and conversion therapy uh, mm-hmm. bills and the opposition to to something that medical science says is harmful i, I, I just don't get it uh, right. Well, in addition to all of the other things you've been doing, you're involved in a new organization um, called Family Equality. I don't know that it's a new organization, but you're involved with an organization called Family Equality. Tell us about that organization and its mission and, and how you got involved. Yeah, so Family Equality, you're right. It isn't new. It's been around for more than 40 years, and it's the only national organization working to create lived and legal equality for LGBTQ plus families. And that can mean... LGBTQ plus parents. It can mean people in our community who want to become parents, either through fostering adoption, um, reproductive technologies. It can also be the kids, the LGBTQ plus kids in our child welfare system. So what we're doing is fighting, working to help create that equality for every, every form of LGBTQ plus family. We do that through legal work, legislative work. We connect LGBTQ plus parents or potential parents with 
resources with healthcare providers. We help give them um, connections or keep them informed on what's happening legislatively, legally in, in their states. And we really focus on helping create community for, for those parents, for those families through support groups, through events, through activities. And one of the most important things, we, we are out there advocating for kids in the child welfare system. You know, there were more than 400,000 kids in the child welfare system in wow. the United States. And it's been proven that LGBTQ plus people are eight times more likely to foster or adopt than straight couples. And they're also much more likely to foster or adopt hard to place kids like sibling sets or kids with mental or, or physical challenges. So we're out there fighting for all kids in the child welfare system because the last thing any foster or adoption provider should be doing is saying, we refuse to work with this group of potential parents because they're LGBTQ plus. That is absolutely not working in the best interest of those kids in the system. And then 30% of the kids in the child welfare system identify as LGBTQ plus. Hmm. It makes me sick to, to consider how they might be treated or how they are being treated by those foster and adoption agencies that are discriminating against the LGBTQ plus community. Those agencies should be doing everything in their power to advocate for those kids, not discriminate against them. Well, especially in light of what we just talked about. I mean, a lot of the adoption agencies are run by religious organizations, the Catholic Church being one. Uh, and so, gosh, that's just a, a, a that's just a formula for disaster if you're plugging in that large of a population of kids into a, a, a discriminatory entity like the church. It is. The, the majority of... And I can't remember the percentage, but it's a high percentage of those agencies in the U.S. are religiously affiliated. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we're anxiously awaiting is a decision from the Supreme Court on Fulton versus the city of Philadelphia. And that touches on this very situation. There were two adoption and service providers in Philadelphia who refused to work with LGBTQ plus potential parents or parents even though Philadelphia has a non-discrimination protection. So they, they are now demanding, and it went to the Supreme Court, they're demanding the right to not work with the LGBTQ plus community, regardless of that local non-discrimination protection and completely ignoring the fact that those agencies receive federal tax dollars. Every person is paying those agencies to do their work and they're, refusing to do it for certain people. So that decision could come out anytime. And we're nervous about it because it could potentially give those agencies the legal right to refuse to work with us, even yeah. though they are federally funded. Yeah, especially given the folks who are making that decision at this current time, right? I mean, the court is not necessarily friendly towards LGBT folks. Not at all, although I have to admit, I'm still happily, but still stunned by their decision in Bostock, oh, yeah. which held that, you know, discrimination against the LGBTQ plus community based on sexual orientation and gender identity is the same as discrimination based on sex as far as employment goes. So I'm still stunned by that, especially considering it was what, a seven to two decision, if I recall correctly? Yeah, six three and Gorsuch wrote it. Right. Okay. Stunning. Right. I think I was yes. I was as surprised <laughs> as you were about that. I would have never ever guessed that. 
No, that that's the last thing I was expecting in that decision. Yeah. So where can folks go to learn about family equality? Well, you can absolutely find us on the web at familyequality.org. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and, you know, check us out. I think for anyone, especially who is thinking about building or expanding their family, check out the resources we have available because that's a big part of what we do is help make sure that people who want to build or expand a family can find resources to help them do that. Fantastic. We'll put that link on our own website at outbeatnews.com. You can just go to the top of the page and click show notes and go check that out. Uh, Jim, what's on the horizon for you in the next six months? Oh, great question, Greg. I don't really know. I've I've never been one of those people who plan far ahead. Um, You know, in fact, I always say the worst question I could get during a job interview or a job um, review is, Jim, where do you, where do you want to be in five years? Because uh, my honest answer is above ground. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what does the future hold? I don't know. It's hard to say. I will continue doing things with the wine label, um, hopefully open some other locations, I'll continue working with family equality, and we'll see what happens. Well, you haven't had to worry about keeping yourself busy uh, in the last six years. And so I don't, well, that so, is true. <laughs> and, I, and I think you've got such a strong voice and so much to give. So I, I think you're going to be plenty busy. Where can people go to follow you? Well, you can absolutely go to obergefell.com. Uh, I finally got around to having a website created, so you can check that out or my public page on Facebook, Jim Obergefell. And you can also track me down at family equality. So lots of ways to, and I'm also on Instagram. Perfect. And we'll put some of those links as well on our website. Jimbo Bergerfell, thanks so much for checking in with us. We'll hope to see you back out here in Sonoma County in person in the flesh sometime soon. I hope so. I miss being out there and I look forward to, to being in Sonoma again before too long. And Greg, thanks so much for having me on. It was great talking with you as always. Always a pleasure. Take care. What a great guy. Okay, before we wrap up tonight, don't forget Sonoma County Pride starts day after tomorrow with the raising of the Pride flag in downtown Santa Rosa. Sonoma County Pride organizers have a packed schedule of events for you to enjoy all month long, and there really truly is something for everyone. And some of the major events include that drive through parade coming up this weekend at the Grayton Casino, the Wizard of Oz sing-along dinner on June 19th, and of course the big concert event with Todrick Hall on June 26th. That'll be taking place at the Sonoma County Fairgrounds. There's so much more online, outdoor events, family events. You can get the complete calendar at sonomacountypride.org. And that wraps up our hour. Be sure to tune in next Sunday night to Outbeat Radio's Living Proof with Sheridan Gold and Dr. Diana Grayer. That's at 8 p.m. and only here on 104.9 KRCB-FM, Sonoma County's NPR station. In the meantime, do have a great week, and thanks for spending your Sunday night with us. Outbeat News in Depth is hosted and produced by Greg Moralia. Our shows are available for on-demand play anytime on our website at OutBeatNews.com and on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and now on iHeartRadio. Find links to subscribe at OutBeatNews.com. I love to change the world, but I don't know.
Broken down and tired of living life on a merry-go-round, and you can't find a fighter. But I see it in you, so we gon' walk it out. Move mountains, we gon' walk it out and move mountains. Silence is a quiet, and it feels like it's getting hard to breathe. And I know you feel like dying, but I promise we'll take the world to its feet. Move my mountains, bring it to its feet. Support for Outbeat Radio on KRCBFM comes from listeners and from Rocky, the free-range chicken, and Rosie, the original organic chicken. Air-chilled, non-GMO, locally raised here in Sonoma County with no antibiotics ever. Learn more at rockyandrosie.com. You're listening to KRCBFM Windsor and KDHT-FM Roanoke Park. It's 9 p.m. Stay with us. Afropop is next. <laughs> 